Well, good morning again, everyone. Glad uh, that you're here. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be back. I have missed you. Uh, if you didn't know, I was gone. I was gone. Uh, thanks to uh, Gabriel and Scott for preaching the last couple of weeks. Um, our hearts do go out to Miriam, the family. You know, I, we make some of these announcement videos weeks before we actually air them, and I had no idea Buddy would be in that, uh, in that picture. It touched my heart. Touched my heart. He loved this Thanksgiving feast. I could count on him to say something uh, every single time. So, um, um, anyway, if you're new to fullness, uh, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Today, we are on the final sermon of a 16-week series on the Apostles' Creed. Um, we've been looking at it in depth over these past weeks. I hope you've enjoyed this journey. I know I have personally. Uh, we'll, be do the, we'll be doing the Confessions of Augustine next. Now, some of you don't get the joke. Um, <laughs> never mind. You need to go to classical school, some of you, and uh, hang in there. Uh, anyway, yeah, my humor did not get any better while I was gone. I'm sorry. Uh, here's some of the things we've said about the creed. I'm not going to uh, review the entire thing in any way because we can't review 16 weeks. But the thing we've looked at about the creed is this, that it, it draws its authority not from itself, but by the fact that it, its truth rests in the Word of God. Uh, the truths contained in the Apostles' Creed are truths from God's Word and as such draw their authority there. The creed actually predates the establishment of what you would think of as the institutional church. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church, the church, the Church of Rome, was established in the 300s, and we have evidence of the creed being used in church life prior to that. So I know that some of you have always cringed when we got to the two phrases, um, descended into hell, and then, of course, us Baptists, whenever we have to say the Holy Catholic Church, everybody kind of we're cruising, and then it's Holy Catholic Church, and then we're back into it again. Uh, Catholic in that term means universal. Uh, it means that we are in this together, that uh, we, are, we are the church. And the thing that we've looked at over these weeks is that saying the creed, knowing the creed, it assists us in spiritual formations. It was seen as kind of a foundational truth. It was actually started as a baptismal creed, we believe, that people would uh, state it when they got baptized because these are some of the essentials of the faith and of faith in Jesus Christ. It helps bring balance to our beliefs. Over the weeks, we've seen that if we're not careful, any one of us can tend toward uh, focusing on one aspect of Christian belief and not focus on some of the others. So it helps bring balance by giving us a wide variety of the things that are important in the Christian faith. It creates the desire for community. If you come to fullness more than a couple of weeks, and you'll hear it again this morning, we don't believe that Christianity is a singular or an individual faith. We believe that God is not looking for a person after his name, but a people after his name. And that really there is a desire... I'm not saying God doesn't care about you individually. He does. But in America, we have turned Christianity into an individualistic faith to where we almost say it's just me and God. And just me and God. And then if you get involved with me and God, if it doesn't bother me or God, then that's okay. And really, that's not the faith that we're a part of. We are a part of a people. 
called after his name. We are the body of Christ. We're the temple of God. We're in this together. There is a horizontal aspect of our faith that we cannot get away from. And when you think about the creed over 2,000 years having been quoted and stated together as the body of Christ through different generations, different faiths, people all over the world are saying this today. Next to the Lord's Prayer, it's probably the most quoted aspect that the church does as a, as a whole. So it, it should create the desire for community. And it helps direct our steps. I believe. I believe. I believe that what you believe will make a difference in the way you live your life. Because belief is not an intellectual assent. Belief goes down to the heart. Belief changes the way you respond. You act upon what you believe to be true. Correspondingly, I would also contend that you don't believe things that you say you believe that you don't act upon. They are really not a part of you. You may say that you believe them, but belief is more than intellect. Belief is a heart aspect that results in, in our actions. The creed begins with God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, goes to Jesus Christ, Make some statements about who he is. It really focuses on him. And then the third section comes down to a statement, a series of statements. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, which Gabriel preached about a couple of weeks ago, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting, which Scott did, and then closes with this word, amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I don't know that I've heard, I can't even remember ever hearing a sermon on the word amen. It's probably the word in spiritual life we say more than any other word. If you think about it, all of our prayers end with amen. And so we say it all the time, but I've never really even, I've never preached a sermon on it. And maybe you've heard so I know you haven't heard one for 25 years if you've been a part of fullness on the word amen, but I want to focus on that word as we close out this series today. I remember when my kids were little and, you know, when kids pray, they pray for the dog, the cat, the whatever, they just pray, but they always knew that at the end, they may not have their prayer organized really well, but at the end, they would always say, in Jesus' name, Amen. Or if Kathy and I were praying too long, I'd hear little amens coming across the table. Kind of like, let's wrap this up. The food is on the table. Let's close this thing down. Because they knew amen was the closer. Many times we think of the word amen as exactly that. It's just the way to finish a prayer. It's what we say at the end. But it has so much more meaning than simply that. Do you know wherever you go in the world, wherever you go in the world and you hear people pray in their own language, the one word you will recognize in their prayer is the word amen. Because wherever you go in the world, this word amen, it's not a translation of another word. It's a transliteration. A transliteration means it's been taken from a language and rather than translated, like all our other words um, that we have in the English Bible, it was used. So here's the idea. In the Greek, in the Hebrew 
Amen is amen. When the Greeks started becoming a part in the Greek language, they just took the word from the Old Testament and then rather than trying to translate it, they moved it into the Greek. And over time, it is, it's just moved along with, with history, which makes it very unique. Other words like Abba, that's a transliteration, meaning father. Amen in... As best we understand it means so let it be or so be it. In other words, it's an agreement with the truth that's just been spoken. So whenever you hear the word amen, it's closely associated with the Hebrew words for truth and uh, the word aman, which means to be confirmed, supported, or upheld, meaning I uphold the truth that has just been spoken. So it's much more than just a closing of a prayer. If you think about it, when you say amen, you're saying, I agree with the truth that has just been prayed, so be it. When, you, when someone preaches and you heard the way, word amen or say the word amen, you're saying, I agree with the truth that's just been spoken, so let it be. When you close out the Apostles' Creed with the word amen, you're saying, I believe. It's another way of saying, I believe, this is truth, so let it be, I agree, I confirm it. How does this carry weight in our lives today? How does this word amen and agreeing with truth and moving forward, what is it we're agreeing with and how do we agree together in these ideas? So I, I want to look at a couple of various passages where the word amen is used. Amen, 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 depending on how you pronounce it, uh, you want to get really formal, but passages where it's used that can help focus us in a specific direction for amen. So I want to look first at uh, this lengthy passage from 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning with verse 6, I'm just going to read verses 6 through 19. Again, I know this is a lengthy passage, but I think you'll get the context of it. I've preached on it before. If you're new to fullness, I think it'll give us a specific light on one aspect of the word amen. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 6 and following. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word or instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, sorry, for this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. 
I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you're praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among you, how can one who finds himself among you, those who do not understand, say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to, to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, I know that's a lengthy passage, and I read it all to you for a reason. And it, it leads into my first point, which is this. To be able to say amen affirms others. It affirms others. In other words, when you agree with the truth that's being spoken, it affirms not just you, but it affirms the others around you. Here's Paul's argument in this passage. Paul is not arguing that spiritual gifts like tongues should be done away with. In no way is he doing that. He is simply saying, look, when you come together in public worship, if you speak only in tongues or pray only in the Spirit or, or sing only in the Spirit, then how can the people around you affirm what is being said? How can they agree with you if they don't understand? Uh, these past weeks, um, we were out of the country and we were overseas. I was with Robin Chan. You're going to have to hear a bunch of stories. I'm going to show pictures. Just buck up. Uh, it's vacation day. I'm returning from Israel, so you got to see some of this. But one of the things that happened was, as soon as we get in the car in Israel, uh, we're, I don't know how to get to where we're going. I'm driving in Israel. You can just picture that, first of all. And it's late at night. Rob and Shannon are in the car and Kathy. And so we said, okay, we'll put in the GPS. The GPS is in stinking Hebrew. I mean, they're talking to me in Hebrew. It's on the screen in Hebrew. I'm thinking, this is not helpful. I am not going to be able to get to where I'm going. We had to go back into the rental car place and say, hey, can you come out and get this thing in English? Well, he got it to talk to me in English, but he never got it on the screen in English. It's all Hebrew characters, you know, and they read backwards, right to left, whatever direction that is. So to even find the highway, you have to go to the end of the sentence to find the number that you're doing. In other words, to me, it was just another picture of, in languages, if we don't understand what's going on, we can't affirm. In church life, how can someone affirm what's going on if they don't understand it, if they don't comprehend, if they can't? You can't agree with something you don't understand. That's Paul's bottom line argument. He is arguing for intelligibility in public worship. He's, 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 he's arguing that we need to understand. Again, we are a people who believe that all the gifts of the Spirit are available today. We want to walk in them in public worship, in private worship, but we also want to understand the complexities that are involved when we're in a public setting and there's a horizontal aspect to worship. Here's what Paul says again. If you're praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving? I didn't read that very well, but I think you'll get the point. To your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you're saying. He's saying, 
people, we want, them to, we want people to say amen, so let it be in our lives. But we can't do it if we don't agree. So there needs to be both mind and spirit. One of the things we argue for here at Fullness is that we are to be a people who fully embrace the truth of God, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. Fully. Both. Engaged in our lives. Not a 50-50 proposition, 100% of both. At work in our lives. Amen. Let's not miss that it matters to Paul that we understand what goes on so that we can affirm. Amen, then, is a way that we all understand and are built up. Now, I could go, I could go on down the line here, by the way. Paul's arguing for tongues. But, you know, to sometimes to the outside world, just Christian knees is tongues. They don't always understand all the lingo and language and words that we use. How can they affirm what's being said if they don't understand? Last week... Um, a week ago, yesterday, as a matter of fact, uh, we had already gone to Jerusalem, the four of us, and we had seen a lot, but we crammed one day of touring into Jerusalem. But you can't see all of Jerusalem in a day, right? Well, you may not know. You may not be able to affirm that because you haven't been to Jerusalem, but trust me, if you're trying to see it, you can't see it all in a day. So we had gone back on um, Saturday, which is the Sabbath, um, and they were celebrating the Sabbath. But that afternoon, we, went, we wanted to go just to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, because we, we had not been there. It's remarkable. There are trees in the Garden of Gethsemane that, are thousand, over, that were there when Jesus was there. They're 2,500 years old, so they were present when he was in the Garden. So you're in the Garden of Gethsemane. We come out of the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's a guy wearing... He's an Arab uh, guy, a taxi driver, and he's wearing a Make America Great Again hat. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's surreal. You walk out of the Garden of Gethsemane, there he is, Make America Great. So Rob, of course, being Rob, strikes up a conversation with the guy and says, hey, I like your hat. And he's like, I love Donald Trump. And, um, and he says to Rob, he says to us, um, you know, I can't even remember if we asked where he got his hat or something. And he says, Pat Boone gave me this hat. And we're like, Pat Boone gave you this hat? Where was Pat Boone? He's handing out Donald Trump hats to people in Israel. Anyway, Pat Boone had been there three weeks ago, he said. And he had a picture. On... Some of you are not believing my story here. <laughs> so he says, Pat Boone gave me this hat when I took him to Bethlehem. And we are, some of you, I know, some of you can't affirm because you don't know who Pat Boone is, <laughs> uh, which I understand as, as well. Old singer. Anyway, so um, we said, well, you, we didn't think you could get into Bethlehem. And he goes, well, I can get into Bethlehem. And we're like, really? Yeah, I could. There's, you know, tensions between the Arab, Israeli, and Bethlehem is actually behind a fence. Uh, it's fenced off. They they like Donald Trump. They believe in fences in Israel. So they have a fence between some of the sections uh, to, to keep things safe. So you have to go through an Israeli checkpoint. To, it's easy to get out, but it's harder to get back in, so to speak. Anyway, the guy says, yeah, for $100, I'll take you to Bethlehem. I'll get you a private tour. I'll, you know, you go to see the church and all of this. And first we're saying, no, this is really shaky. And, we, you know, that we didn't bargain for this. We didn't budget for this. We didn't give for this. 
And then he keeps talking, and the next thing you know, Rob and I are saying, yeah, let's go to Bethlehem. It's only six miles from here. Let's go. Next thing you know, we're in a taxi headed out. Now, see, I didn't really think this through all the way. Uh, Rob and I are very excited, but Shannon and Kathy, not so much. You know, because they're now in a taxi with an Arab guy with a Make America Great Again cap driving to Bethlehem. Well, we're driving, and the next thing you know, uh, I start asking him his name. His name's Wally. <laughs> and Wally says, hey, did you go to the Church of the Ascension? And we're like, no, we didn't. We saw one church went in it, but we didn't go. Next thing, he goes, I'll take you there. It's right up here. It's next to my house. My house is the one with the flag, and the church is right over here. And the next thing you know, we're driving up, and he honks his horn, and there's this big green fence, I mean, a green gate, and you can't even see behind the gate. And this old man opens the gate and goes like this to Wally. And Wally blows him a kiss. And the next thing I know, the gate is opening and we're driving through this gate. Now, Shannon and Kathy think this is the end of our lives. This is the point where we're abducted, all our money is stolen. Shannon is texting her daughter saying, pin me so that if something goes wrong, you know where I last were, kind of thing. But when the gate opens and we drive through, we're on the grounds of this beautiful church. And Wally knows everybody. He, he takes us into the church, and there's the rock that Jesus supposedly ascended from in this beautiful Orthodox church. Then he takes us over. He said, I'll take you over to this chapel that people don't get to get into. And he gets this nun who has the key to the chapel, who opens the door, and he goes, this is where John the Baptist was beheaded. See, his head fell in this hole right here kind of thing. And Okay, I didn't know that. Um, it's great to be here. And so we see this. Next thing you know, we're back in the car. We're going through the Valley of Jezreel. He said, oh, over there's the potter's field where Judas hung himself. And this is that. And this is that. We go through a checkpoint, and we come up to this warehouse somewhere. And he says, come on, I want to show you where uh, some of the handicapped people make olive wood uh, things. And we're going to go in. Now, we're at a warehouse front. That's all we're at. We're at a warehouse, and we don't even know where we are. And we go in, and a guy makes me a cross, which I had yesterday. Oh, here it is. Uh, a cross. A guy in a wheelchair makes, makes me a cross. And Wally goes to me, okay, now this guy, uh, what was the guy's name? Kathy, huh? Dia. He said, this guy Dia, he's going to take you up to the church. And, and so he goes, you go get in his car. You go get in the car with Dia, and he'll take you up to the church. Look, he's got a tag on it. He's an official tour guide. <laughs> he's got a tag on. And Shannon asks our guy, are you going to be here when we get back? Are you going to be, you know, oh, yes, I'll wait on you, Dia. Take good care of you. So we're in a car. Next thing you know, we're in a car with Dia, headed up to the church. And here's Wally again, walking around. And then... The next thing you know, we are in this beautiful Orthodox church. It is just gorgeous. And he's starting to tell us, and I don't realize the stress this has caused my wife. And, and where she is mentally thinking, she's not thinking, I'm going to Bethlehem. She's thinking, am I going to live kind of thing? Am I going to survive this ordeal? So that we get in this church, and she turns to me, and she says, where am I, and what am I supposed to see here? She didn't even, she didn't realize, oh, this is where Jesus was born, honey. 
This is Bethlehem. We're in the church of the nativity. I mean, she's so disoriented that she can't see what's going on. And I did I didn't do a good job of both protecting my wife and Shannon. Sorry, Shannon. That's Rob's fault. But um, <laughs> of helping them because Rob and I are, love, are just having a great time. This is fun. What I'm trying to say is you can't affirm what you don't understand. Kathy did not have the ability at the moment to say, amen, I'm in the church where, that is built over the place where Jesus was born. And so the next thing you know, we go down into a cave where traditionally it corresponds. By the way, the, hour was, the, the line was three hours long, and our guy Dia got us in first. I mean, moved us to the front of the line. He said hi to the priest, shook their hands, took us to the front of the line. It was the greatest day ever. I mean, it was so much fun. Rob and I, we just had a great time. All I'm trying to say by this is by, besides killing, you know, letting you see pictures and share stories, is this. There are times when we think this is awesome and fun and we're praising Jesus and somebody else is over here saying, I have no idea what's going on. They cannot say amen if they don't understand. And we need to help people. We, amen affirms others. Because it's not just about me and the great time that I'm having. It's about the great time we're having. And we need to bring everybody along. Second point, to be able to say amen recognizes the fulfillment of Christ. Fulfillment of Christ. A different passage in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Jesus, in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken to us to the glory of God. What Paul is doing here is precisely what I'm trying to do this morning. He's trying to give meaning to the word amen. And he's saying, he says first that God, Christ is God's yes. Christ is God's amen to all of God's promises. All the promises in the Old Testament find their amen, their yes in Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all God's promises. And in a general sense, he is the fulfillment. But there's a specific sense, too, when he says in the last phrase, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. We get to participate in this fulfillment because of what Jesus has done in our lives. Amen. To be able to say amen, I'm hoping I'm getting this in a way that you're connecting with it, but the amen that is the fulfillment of Christ is to the promises of the Old Testament and to their fulfillment in us. We, we then become God's amen so to speak, when we reflect the glory and the truth and the promises of Jesus to the world around us. We are his amen. Christ is his amen, but it, it finds its, he finds its fulfillment in each and every one of us. There are reflections on this point that, let's see if I can tie them together, and it's this. You'll never find your purpose, your destiny in this world, the reason that you're here, your reason for being 
apart from Jesus. You can achieve a lot in this life. You can accomplish a lot. But my belief by the Word of God is that the only way you'll be able to be God's amen, so to speak, is through the promises of Jesus finding their fulfillment in you. And you saying, yes, just like Nora, who we baptized this morning. Nora is, I, I love that little girl. She is so sweet. And you would look at her and say, this girl's a sinner who needs Jesus? Yes. Yes, because all of our hearts are darkened. You know, John, jo Jonathan Edwards used to call children little vipers. <laughs> he had a real way with words. Now, he had like 10, 15 kids. I can't remember how many kids he had. He had a ton of them. But he, he didn't see them like we see them so often. I, I look at my little grandson, Leo, and I'm like, he's the sweetest thing ever. No, he's a sinner. He's a sinner. I mean, you say, how can he be a sinner? He was born into sin. And the only way he will ever find his destiny, why he's here, is through Jesus. The promises of Jesus being fulfilled in his life. That's why we pray almost every day for his salvation. We pray that he'll come to know Jesus, the one who rules his life and forgives his sins. I pray that for every single one. Because the only way you can say amen to God, so be it, is through Jesus. Through the promise that, that he brings. Through the fulfillment that he brings. So, so to, to say amen... It, it, we've, it edifies each other. I mean, we assist and build each other up, but really we do it by the, by the person and work of Jesus in our lives. He is the fulfillment. And this leads us to this truth. It, it exalts God. When we say amen, it exalts God. It builds him up. That's what Paul is saying at the end of that passage when he says, uh, and, and so through the amen is spoken by us to what? To the glory of God. It exalts God being able to say amen. In the book of Revelation, John uses the word amen to say something, to, to point us to something that exalts God when he can't contain himself. It's like he has this vision in Revelation, and he just, amen. It's kind of like TV. Amen. TV gets excited. It's like, I don't know what else to say. It's, this is to the glory of God. And I'm agreeing with the truth that God is present in this, in this place. Look what John says in Revelation 5. He says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The, 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 everybody singing, to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and power forever. And it's like the elders don't know what else. Amen. Let it be to the glory of God. In other words, when worshipful beings like we should be all the time, hear God exalted, we should want to enter into that exaltation together and in our hearts agree and say, so let it be. 
Amen. Let this truth prevail in our hearts and our lives. Here's the horrible thing, as I see it. We were all made to worship. We were all made to sit around that, I believe, to come to Jesus, to go before the throne. But there are tons of people who can't say amen and can't agree because they don't know this Jesus and they don't, they're not in relationship with God, their creator. Again, on our trip, we got the privilege of going to Patmos, the Isle of Patmos. We were bopping around, seeing different things, went to Ephesus, went to Patmos. And they take us to this cave. That's the Isle of Patmos. It's a beautiful place, really, where John was exiled. And they take us to this cave where John was traditionally, this is the cave. He, I, I, I'm not sure I was totally aware of this. I think I'd heard it before, but he was in a cave meditating when he received this revelation, according to tradition. And that spot, there's a little spot uh, to the right. that You see the rock kind of wall, and then there's, at the back there's a tapestry. Right to the right of that tapestry, there's this little roped-off area where they say John was kneeling and praying and meditating when he received the revelation that spoken of in Revelation 1. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard him behind, heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see. And according to, you don't know if this is the spot, but it could be. And I, you know, I'm just thinking of this passage in my head. John kneeling, praying, and he hears this voice behind right on this scroll, in a loud voice, right on a scroll, what I'm going to say. And I start crying. And I'm not, you know, a crier by nature much. I'm, I'm getting worse as I get older. Not worse, but more sensitive as I get older. But I, I, I just thought, it just moved me. And I just, in my heart, I was worshiping I was worshiping God thinking, this is incredible. Lord, thank you for your revelation in John's life that has moved so many. And I walk out of this church. It's everywhere you go. If there's a place that people traditionally believe something happened, there's a church over it. So it's not like it's pristine like some cave you walk into. It's like this elaborate church. Walk out the of the cave, through the church, outside. We're with a pretty big group. There's a cat outside of this church. And the next thing I need know, all these people are going, ooh, ah, look at the kitty. And they're taking pictures of this cat. And I'm just like, this is one of the most moving experiences of my life. And you people are more enamored with a cat Go home, see a cat, get on the internet, see a cat. Um, you know, cat, it's a cat. This is a cave where John received the... Here's what I'm saying. Not everybody can affirm because not everybody sees God in the same way because they have never said yes to the promises of God in their life. And we need to change that. We need to help reflect the glory of God so that people can say amen to the glory that is 
him. It exalts God. Being able to say amen together exalts him. Final point is this. It binds us together. It binds us together. When we say amen as a community of faith, it is in many ways confirming that we are the body of Christ. Yes, so let it be. Let this truth prevail in our lives. Let us come together to say amen. You know, when Kathy, um, she'll step out on the back patio and read sometimes and do stuff, and then she'll come in and she'll say, hey, hey, come outside and look at the sunset. Why does she want me to look at the sun setting, which happens every single day? Because there's something in that shared experience that binds us together. It's not just that she wants me to experience it. She wants us to experience it. And when we come together in public worship, when we come together to, to fight the battles that have to be fought to live life, when we experience birth and death and life together in Jesus, we are able to say amen and it binds us together. Again, we have to swim upstream against the American individualistic idea that it's just me and Jesus. The truth that binds us together. You know, I'm, honestly, I, I've known Robin Shannon for, I don't know, a decade now. And I know Robin Shannon pretty well. We've been through some things together. Um, good, bad, just battles. But you know what? Spending a week with Robin Shannon in Israel, there's a, bind, there's a bond there that it makes it different. I see them different. They probably see me way different. Because, uh, you know, usually you just see me up here and I'm leading the charge in something. But now they're, we experience life together. So there's a bond together. You see people in a different way than you would see them. Being able to say amen means in your life, I'm saying, let the truth of God prevail. And you in my life, let the truth of God prevail. Even in these rough times, even in our failures, and we all fail. Hello? We all stumble and fall. We all make mistakes. We all do things we may not intend or we do intend that hurt people. And yet we need to extend forgiveness has been preached we need to see God's work in our lives. We need to be able to say amen to one another, to God's work in our lives, to do life together because it binds us together. D.L. Moody was a famous and well-known preacher of the 1800s, and he built a huge church in Chicago. And one time he had to be out of town, kind of like I was over the last couple of weeks, and he, he had a guest preacher come in. He was a guy by the name of Henry Morehouse. And at this time, Moody is not a young man, but he's not old. He's probably in his 40s or something at this stage. And he's pretty established, building a great church. And Morehouse is in his 20s, and he's British. So you got that going for you. So he's British, and Morehouse comes in to... Moody's heard about him, invites him in. He preaches for D.L. Moody while he's out of town. So Moody comes back from being out of town, and he does what all preachers do when they get back in town. They ask their wives, how did it go? I mean, really, if the wife is present, that, that's where they go. 
How, how, you know, how'd the service go? How was the preaching? How'd he do? And his wife says to Moody, oh, he was great. I liked him a lot. And you'll like him, although he preaches quite differently than you. To which Moody, of course, as all preachers will do, said, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean he preaches differently than you? And, and his wife lovingly says this to him. Well, he tells the worst sinners that God loves them. See, Moody's style of preaching was, God is going to get you. You know, God is standing behind you with a sword. It's going to hack you down if you don't come to God. And this guy's telling sinners that God loves them. To which Moody responds, well, he's wrong. And his wife encourages him, says, I tell you what, he's preaching over here. Go listen to him. Go hear him preach and then let me know. So at the urging of his wife, he goes and hears Morehouse preach. And here are Moody's words about Morehouse's preaching. He said, I've got it up here so you can read it along with me. He went through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation to prove that in all ages God loved the world. I never knew up to that time that God loved us so much. This heart of mine began to thaw out. I cannot keep back the tears. It was like news from a far country. I just drank it in. He just beat that truth down into my heart, and I have never doubted it since. I used to preach that God was behind the sinner with a double-edged sword ready to hew him down. I've got done with that. I preach now that he is behind him with love, and he, meaning the sinner, is running away from the love of God. Here's the point I'm trying to make in, in this closing illustration. When the truth of God is proclaimed and we with open hearts listen, the truth will prevail so that we can say amen to it and are changed. Amen is not merely the closing to your prayer. Amen is not merely saying this is over. Amen is saying this truth is truth, now let it be lived through me. For 2,000 years, the church has been saying the creed. And in whatever language it's been said, it closes with the word amen. I mean, think about that. Of all the words in this, the one word that every people throughout time have said is this word amen. So let it be. For 4,000 years, Followers of faith have been using the word amen from the Old Testament times through the New Testament times through the church period up until today to say, so let it be in our lives. My prayer is this. May we be able to say amen to God's glory because the promises of Christ are fulfilled in my life to the point that others are affirmed and the church is brought together. Lord, I pray this morning that your truth would prevail in our hearts and our lives. Lord, I thank you for this people in this place. I thank you for the, the glory of God that's been realized in fullness for these many years. And I pray, Lord, that that would increase in the days ahead. Lord, I pray that we will 
together affirm the truths that you, are God, are our creator. You're the maker of heaven and earth. That we believe in Jesus Christ, your only son, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried, descended into hell, rose again, lives at the right hand of God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting, we believe. And to those truths we say amen. And may those truths be lived out through our lives to the glory of God. We thank you, Lord, and we bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand.